Hello everyone and welcome to a So What Happens Next Small Screens. I am one of your hosts, Thomas. I'm Amber. I'm Allie. And I'm Cayman. And this week we are giving you a real treat. Much to Amber's brilliant idea, we have decided to use our small screens for at least one or two episodes here to give you our lost episodes. Uh, of which the one we're doing today is A Clockwork Orange, which originally was supposed to feature Allie and Cayman. You ready to uh, revisit for the first time Clockwork Orange? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I feel like I've forgotten so much, and yet, yeah. I know it's not something I definitely wanted to rewatch this quickly. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it was like a one and done thing. I think that's like the consensus that we all had, um, or we weren't going to be watching it like anytime soon because it it's very dense. <laughs> for sure. And to talk about just how dense and thick this movie is oh my we have returning to us for the first time on the show Allie and Cayman Allie how are you doing today I'm good I'm good I'm glad to be back (laughs) yeah it's like you've never done this before but we have that joke's getting old Cayman how are you doing today (laughs) oh I'm doing good Uh, I'm freshly uh microchipped so I'm really excited for uh for my invitation from Bill Gates coming up soon Um, same here we actually got our first microchips uh last no two weeks ago ago. oh nice nice. second one next Friday yeah we'll be either turned into brainwashed sleeper cell agents or (laughs) immune to a deadly virus (laughs) Pick one, you know, whatever floats your boat. Safe. Maybe both. Honestly, yeah. it's kind of ideal for your secret agents to also be immune to the virus. So, right. like, maybe, like, like, win-win. It, exactly. Like, you just be immune, and if you turn into a secret sleeper cell, that's fine too. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it just it, comes with the territory. You know. Yeah, I agree. And who knows? They might never activate you, and you just live a long and happy, healthy life. It seems like a you know a gamble I'm willing to take. Kind of like the gamble that this movie was to kind of do originally. So when we originally did this, we were like, let's do Clockwork Orange. And like, we know that it's super like heavy movie, right? Like it's it's ultra violent, if you will. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultra violence. Um, as well as raunchy as hell, among other things. And so we were like, let's give it a shot. It's also Stanley Kubrick. It was our second foray into the Kubrickverse uh, following our, our very first episode we've ever done on this show, uh, Full Metal Jacket, which was a fantastic film and uh, definitely not really comparable to this one. That's for sure. <laughs> it's really, really hard to compare these two. But um, just to kind of get... Your guys' thoughts, I guess, you know, of what you can remember came in, like, let's start with you. What what were your overarching thoughts here on A Clockwork Orange? Yeah, uh, you hit the nail on the head. It was a weird, dense movie. 
Um, it wasn't as like heavy and dark and upsetting as I had expected to be. Uh, I remember my takeaway being that it was like like everything was like very exaggerated to the point where it was nearly like theatrical or cartoonish. Um, so many of the aspects that would have been like really really upsetting, like scenes of like rape and incredible violence, um, felt a little bit. I don't know, like just theatrical and cartoonish, as I'd said. Yeah. Um, overall, I enjoyed it pretty well. It was a movie that definitely made me think, um, but it was a bit of a weird one. It's it's one that I would, it, my recommendation of that movie, like like if I would recommend it to somebody, I would like very much hedge the bet. Like like it gets like a recommendation with a big old asterisk. <laughs> oh yeah, like trigger warning on this film straight up. And I guess also I'll mention spoiler alert for. Clockwork Orange. I know I say it at the beginning of every episode, but I know the one that I don't will get somebody angry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So just in case you haven't seen this movie, we are going to be talking about the plot of this film beginning to end. So get ready for that. Also, trigger warning, because some of the I don't think I've ever said that on an episode before, but like trigger warning for some of the content in this film, Uh, whether you watch it or just listen to this episode. We're not necessarily going to be going in heavy-duty depth there, but if it bothers you that we mention things like rape or murder or police brutality, then maybe skip this one and go check out our last episode on Godzilla vs. Kong, which is super-duper fun. Uh, <laughs> but, Allie, what, what were your thoughts about uh, Clockwork Orange? Like... You had said, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had said you read the book in like high school, like back in high school. Yeah. Right? So you were like familiar with it. You you know what's coming. So yeah, um, I was the one, I think I was the only one out of the four of us that had read the book. And so I kind of knew what to expect going into it, but I had forgotten a lot of it from because I had read it like over 10 years ago. Um, and I mm-hmm. definitely agree with all of what came and said. Like, the most striking thing I think about this movie was how dramatic it was and how theatrical it was and how much Mm -hmm. that impacted the perception of the violence like um, it I know a lot of people say that this movie is like so disturbing and you know I don't know I am absolutely disgusted and I agree in like in the sense of what the content is but the way that it was done put so much distance between the viewer and the action that it really wasn't it didn't affect me all that much yeah it's very uh i i want to say at least one of us said this last time it it's looney tunes what's up doc (laughs) it's looney tunes but with real consequences right like the beginning of this film they're just fucking around but it's like rape and murder and it ultimately has a consequence but came in kind of like you pointed out it's almost comical in that it's like a comic book like it's just yeah uh bugs bunny smashed elmer fudd with the hammer and then daffy got shot in the face and like when you say that it sounds horrible like it sounds like oh my god what a nightmare but, you know, in a cartoon, it's whatever. And this movie, I think, really weirdly captures that in a demented and strange way. Like, it's just like watching a cartoon and you're distanced. Like you said, Ali, you're kind of distanced from that. I also want to say, I remember something we talked about, about the whole stage setting. I, I feel like there was like a rant about yeah. that. 
Like yeah. where it's like being in the theater, like especially during that kind of opening sequence where they're raping the girl and then they have the fight and it's like it's framed so that you're like watching as if you're in the audience. So like I give Kubrick kudos for that one there. But to kind of jump into the five things list that I had originally made for this movie, uh, the first of which was that it's a dystopia. So this movie is set in a strange, not quite established wind dystopia, but I would argue it's at least in the not too distant future. Right, because mm-hmm. like if I remember correctly, like the costumes in this movie were fucking nuts. <laughs> like it was like all the people of the 70s wearing the hip clothing but they all aged 80 years and they're all tie- like old people but they're still with the pink hair and the go-go boots and shit like like his mom and stuff like that yeah it seemed like uh it, it seemed like a uh a, like an alternate reality like version of like what the 70s might have predicted a 2010s or a 2020s dystopia to be yeah really Amber, what are your thoughts on the whole dystopic vision of Kubrick's, or, or I guess of Anthony Burgess, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Allie, really quick, was it described like that? Was the future um, described like that in the book, or was it just not even bothered with? As far as I can remember, there wasn't a ton of, like, world building, if you will. Like, okay. it didn't go into that much detail in terms of, like, the scenery, or um, just kind of what the society was like outside of like the main plot gotcha so amber thoughts on the dystopic vision of of kubrick i guess in this case for kind of making it visible i think we talked a lot about that last time where it seems really everything seems backwards um especially with like even though like some of it is really relevant today like the police brutality Mm -hmm. is like really relevant um to today to today's time i would say but I think a lot of what was going on was just so backwards, which kind of made it hard to like take in because it's like that wouldn't happen like in real life. Right. Um, you know, just but then other things kind of like the drugs and then just kind of being especially, you know, the first scene is basically them in a bar and they're drinking like some oh, weird ass like milk yeah, with milk like drugs. drugs. Yeah, milk, milk drugs. Drug. Was it milk plus? <laughs> was that what it was called in the Yeah, in the it was film? milk plus. Milk plus I'm not or? sure. Mel- okay, yeah. I feel like it should have been like Milk Ultra or Ultra Milk, Super Mega Milk. It should have been called Mega Milk. Mega Milk, yeah, alliteration. Drop the fucking ball there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you done messed up, A.A. Ron! And it was so normal for them, but like to us as the viewers, it was just like the opposite. Like it wasn't normal at all, but they're kind of all out of it, mm-hmm. it seems like. And like there's that, like, everything that they do like all the violence that they commit it just seems like it's like an out-of-body experience yeah. and it's just mm. so weird because that's usually what you get with dystopic like um novels or movies or whatever like you just it's like an out-of-body experience like you're not really there like um both for the viewers and for the character yeah and i think as far as dystopias go i find it really hard to call this film and maybe 2020 was just that depressing, guys. I don't know. But <laughs> Probably. It just, I find this film hard to be a dystopia. Like, it's really hard for me to go, this is a dystopic piece of fiction. Because aside from things being shitty and it being in the future, it doesn't seem that different. 
aside from weird things like the it should have been called Mega Milk bars <laughs> and the like very which we haven't touched on yet, but the very gratuitous like naked lady and phallic art stuff everywhere in this film. Like I think they get the milk out of like a mannequin boob mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that. Yeah. All the tables are naked ladies. I think he later kills a guy, uh, kills the woman with a dick mm-hmm. that has a butt on it. Like it, it's a whole thing. Aside from that, this you could tell me this movie is in twenty twenty one, and I'd be like, shit, this is more accurate than Back to the Future <laughs> Two with twenty fifteen. Yeah, you're actually <laughs> right because they have artwork like that. I'm pretty sure there's a specific artist I used to follow who would like sew up like dicks or something like that mm-hmm. and like vaginas and whatnot, and that was nice. art. Nice. And I'm just like, so that's not very, you know, different from what we have right now. Like, it's just everything's, like, overly sexualized. Yeah, it's it's a saturated, exaggerated kind of world. Everything is either really grayed out, blank colors, or, like, when you go, especially into people's houses, it's, like, vibrant, vibrant popping, like, check this shit out, it's so colorful. By the way, here's a giant dick <laughs> with a butt on it. Like, yeah. right next to the door... Pointed at you, stiffed up, ready to go. Like, <laughs> there Even though you clearly are. you can't do much with it, right? I mean, I guess person, you could kill, you kill yeah. a person with it. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot for it. That's a, a big that's thing. That's like one function. <laughs> I feel like it'd be hard to kill someone with a normal sized penis. I'm just saying. That's not ceramic. <laughs> uh, I, I'll agree, and I pray to God that nobody disproves me. I hope no one disproves that because that'd be kind of scary. Yeah. It, if if I could make a comment as far as the dystopic setting, I, I think of you're course. hitting. Yeah, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head that it, it's not super far removed from our reality, which I think is intentional. It's like very much like they're not trying to lean into like something very futuristic, a la say. Um, a brave new world where mm-hmm. you know like the entire world and even humanity is like being forged by like this conveyor belt system right. that's like you know like 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 let's imagine like a hundred or two hundred years removed from the time in which it was written mm-hmm. um where, whereas i think the the intentionality of it was that it was like a very similar but exaggerated version of the world that we live in right now which i, I can see very much serving like a specific purpose because like whereas like brave new world is like 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 that's like such a huge jump from our life right now that it's like that it it removes us from it right um where, whereas in this like the setting of that like 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 kind of we're all saying we can very much see our world sliding into that like like oh that's not like that doesn't suck a whole lot more than like right now does right it's like no, i mean if that happened tomorrow if someone was like man in white jumpsuit and codpiece kills woman with ceramic bust of phallus and it wasn't an onion article it would have to happen in florida oh for sure <laughs> yeah it's like okay sorry Florida man in white jumpsuit <laughs> with codpiece kills yoga instructor with ceramic phallus. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I would I would read that headline and like and like it'd be out of my mind in like an hour. Right? Be like, this is like Florida man shit. It would literally be like I'm scrolling through Reddit and I would be like, exactly. wow, Amber, Amber, did you hear about this? Did you hear about this weird dick thing? Oh, look at that puppy. <laughs> like, it would just be, like, a one-and-done deal. Yeah, or, like, like Amber was mentioned uh, police brutality. Like, like if, like, we'd hear that same story, like, oh, they, like, took this guy who just got out of prison and, like, 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 like almost drowned him. Yeah, and, like, beat him up. And, I, and, like, if you told me that now, I'd be like, oh, shit, did they kill him? 
oh no okay great like like like, oh. like, like uh <laughs> it's it's not too distant from like i don't know the sh- headlines we're like reading daily i know it, it's it's strange how it's not there and it, it's making me realize something now that i guess i didn't realize on the first pass of this movie is that like the movie's like absurd and distanced in terms of the violence and the rape and all that shit but in terms of like the setting it's like the most accessible part of this whole movie is like mm. I could see myself walking down that street or when he's in the little super cramped mall hitting on those girls at the record shop yeah. like I could see myself walking through there it's like exaggerated and the camera angles are funky and I think he uses a little bit of a fish ideal going on I don't remember off the top of my head but we're doing some weird shit but I could still be like, yeah, I'm walking through there. Like, I think when Amber and I originally watched it, we were like, oh, that's like these like little, they have like these underground mall things in Korea, like at the subway stations, like these big, huge, just when you go underground, it's a mall. Mm-hmm. And it was like immediately reminded us of that. Just more crammed and shiny, but same yeah. deal. Yeah, we, we actually have, uh, we had one of those here. We, it was called the Underground Atlanta. It was like underground, like Ooh. like little strip mall. Uh, which sounds really cool, and it, I'm sure it was really cool 20 years ago, but it's Everything, like super abandoned I now. <laughs> I was going to say, man, it was probably dope as shit like 20 years ago, or it's really cool now. One of the two, but it's not both. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was probably really cool in the 90s, or like early 2000s. Now there's a right. cool music venue there, so it's a big thumbs up to that. Something. But. Yeah. Anyway, underground. Uh, uh, but I agree with you. Like, like that record store doesn't seem like, like that doesn't that record store didn't look like wildly different than like the record store I go and shop at in a little five points two miles away from my house. It was right. just underground and had a fisheye lens. Yeah. Exactly. Allie, how did you feel about the the dystopia sort of vision that Kubrick presented versus you know what you had thought it was going to be like? So I'm actually gonna kind of disagree with you guys. Oh, that's not allowed. Um, Allie's no longer part of this episode. <laughs> I'm kicked out. I'm banned. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. So, I actually think that Kubrick, like, I think that he kind of whereas the book didn't describe a ton of like what the world was like other than the main plot i think kubrick kind of like took his liberties with that and that he like the opening scene where they're in that milk bar and like they get the milk from the like mannequin's tits yeah. and then like the tables are all like naked mannequin ladies which and, is not like, fu- i'll say it fucking again it's not functional Okay, where on those tables are you putting any of those glasses? You got to either make the bases follow the contours of the titties or something, or or just you're they're there for show, I guess. Waste of fucking plastic, waste of goddamn plastic. No, you got to drink your drink then. Yeah, yeah, you got to like keep holding it, like because yep. if you like set it on a titty, it's gonna tilt over. Right. <laughs> well, so exactly. the trick is like spin it like a top on the nipple, and like it'll stay, and you have to drink it. You have to pick it up before it falls over. It's a game. <laughs> Beyblade, let it rip. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you, if you get like four rotations on it, they give you another uh, jug of my, Mega Milk. Yeah, you get free Mega Milk. Yeah. <laughs> jug. Wait, oh, which b- b- before we get away from the Mega Milk topic, if uh, I love how if, you bring the Mega Milk back up so that we don't <laughs> go away from it too far. Yes. Well, okay. So I was wondering this earlier. If you were presented with Mega Milk to drink, like, I don't know if you stumbled into Kubrick's uh, weird world, would you try it? 
I feel like there's variations. Well, of, what type of milk is it? Well, here's the thing. So, like, <laughs> the type if, in the movie. If I feel like if if there's only one kind of mega milk, based purely on the way people are in this film, and I'll go first, and we're gonna ask the whole room this question because <laughs> it's a good question, <laughs> based firmly on what they show in the film. I would drink the mega milk because there's like businessmen in that place later. And they just kind of look like they're having a good time drinking some beers. It doesn't look like they're drinking anything. They're not drinking like a heroin Coke cut with milk mixture where I'm going to like carve my face off and strangle someone with it. Like (laughs) it, it just looks like they're drinking a beer or maybe some like hard liquor and a lot of it. Amber, what about you? Would you drink the mega milk? I just had a weird thought and I was like, what if the milk is like human milk? Oh, is that what makes it plus? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, have we established, like, because we just assumed we it's like cow milk, right? Or I just actually milk. just thought yeah. it was but white, I was like, and they just called it milk because of the color. I actually didn't think it has anything to do with milk. Oh, mm. oh okay. I, I just assumed it was drugs. <laughs> like, it's just yeah, a cup of Yeah, or some milky, like, concoction, which... Yeah. 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 Okay, well, if it's not human milk, I would drink it. <laughs> okay. Would you, Would you? by extension, though, hang out in the Naked Lady Bar? Or would you be getting the jug to go, as Cayman pointed out, is apparently a valuable <laughs> option here. But I feel like we've been, I don't know, in weirder places, I guess. Like, I would just kind of see as a... I a weirder place than that. Where have you been? Okay, well, I see it more as like a strip club, but without the strippers. Oh. <laughs> a very well-lit strip club. Well, you're, everyone, <laughs> everything's already naked there. Plus, we don't see bartenders because we're always at the same kind of angle going into the bar, right? Maybe behind well, the, the camera is a bunch it, of naked ladies just serving the milk. There there aren't bartenders there. I think they showed it. I think you I think you go and, and serve your milk from uh, statue lady the, tits. Yeah, the statue thing. But what yeah. about when you enter? Who you pay? You know, there's somebody on the other side of that room Maybe it's like a cover charger. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I look, in my as far as my response to like what I drink mega milk, like, you know, when in Rome, like like if I found myself in that bar, like it'd be like, Hey, do you want like our weird milk shit that like we're super yeah. known for. I'm not be like, nah. I came here for something else. Like, hell yeah, give me the weird milk. Yeah, give me the weird mm. milk. I think like, if I, it was if it was only like Alex and his droogs, I'd be a little like, give me a small size. Like, I don't know. This place seems a little weird. Like, kind of skeevy. But then you have those like people, the business people, and I'm just like, if they're able to do it, at worst, it's like what gonna make me feel like weed. At best, it's a beer. Allie, what about you? Are you doing the Mega Milk? I think I'm doing the Mega Milk. Yeah? <laughs> That's party as fuck. I, I, I'm glad that we're all barring the human milk. I bet there's bit. a recipe on that. I, Ooh. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to throw this out real quick. Even if it was human milk, I'd go for it. Like, really? Yeah, I would too. Oh, that's I think tight. <laughs> if they told me if they told me it was human milk afterwards, I would be like, oh, that's weird. Like, Unless it tastes like absolute ass, then I'd be like, of course. Like, <laughs> Apparently, human breast milk is quite sweet. Allegedly. My yeah. friend told me. <laughs> Allegedly. Okay. <laughs> maybe that, maybe the that's the plus. Maybe it's just plus more sugar. I don't know. Yeah. 
That'd be really just. Dis- that's actually super disappointing if that's all it is. Like if if Mega Milk or Milk Plus, like the plus in it is just oh, it's from people. It's like oh, like I'm not gonna get green. inebriated or high or anything from this. It's just, <laughs> it's just sweet, sweet milk. milk. <laughs> <laughs> also, before we leave that topic, I totally uh, feel that the jug that came and mentioned earlier, if that's not boobs then <laughs> the whole world just needs to blow up at that point. Like, you're missing the mark. The fact that none of the cubs, cups or anything, they're just glasses. Like, come on. You could have taken an extra step, Kubrick. You're right there. They could be like, you know how at like, uh, I don't know, like Panama City or like any like beachy place, touristy yeah. place, you can get those mugs that like have the like tits on it. Yeah. It's like that. Like, they should just yeah. be very fine glasses of that. Like, they look classy, but they're still trashy. Like, mm-hmm. it's this <laughs> titty cup. Looks classy, still trashy. Yep. I love that. That, I'm, I'm, if we, guys, if we start this milk bar thing, like, <laughs> that's the that's the slogan. It's called Mega Milks, Mama's Mega Milks, looks classy, still trashy. <laughs> Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd open that business. I would, I would open, open it and I would watch it fail in the next month. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but moving on <laughs> to a, a slightly perhaps a little bit darker vision here. Uh, this movie was advertised as being disturbingly violent. And we all have touched on this, I think, a little bit uh, as we've been talking. And I'll definitely uh, also kind of, you know, Reiterate what I guess I'm feeling from the room. This movie, though it does have violence and it is a bit disturbing at times, I feel like that was a little overhyped to me. Like it was very like, this movie is so upsettingly violent and it's upsetting. But again, in 2021, I feel like I've seen worse. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm thinking like the the you know gore porn shit from the early 2000s with Saw 21 and Hostel and all that so like I feel like that is way more than this movie in a disturbing fashion give or take one or two scenes here that I think are more disturbing than violent but that's just me Allie let's start with you what what are your thoughts on the disturbing violence in this film I absolutely agree with what you just said um Really? Good, you're back I... on the show. Welcome back. I'm going <laughs> you now. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. What can I say except you're welcome? So I think it's all in how it was presented. Because you made a really good point earlier when you compared it to like the Looney Tunes type of violence. Because you can have like uh, Daffy Duck or whatever getting shot in the face in that sort of way. Duck season. Wabbit season. Wabbit season. Duck season. Fire! Or you can have a something a la hostile or saw get where somebody gets shot in the face. Hello. Do you want to play a game? It's like the same it's the same content. It's like the same action happening. But it's the disturbing factor is in how it's framed, how it's shot, and how it's presented. So in this case, like, there was a ton of violence, objectively, and there was a lot of rape and sexual assault, but the way that it was shot and the way that it was presented and acted, especially, it just made it so over the top, and it it was like you didn't take it seriously. Like, it didn't 
present that kind of real world um I don't know like it, it just didn't feel real yeah I, I, like I wouldn't even put this in the top like 20 25 of the most disturbing films I've seen oh shit no I don't I I agree with that he's absolutely right Amber same deal disturbingly violent what what do you what are your thoughts on the violence in this movie yeah I definitely agree with what Ali said like it's not in the top 25 like I think the number one would be human centipede or some shit like that because that's just like (laughs) inconceivable like I've never seen that movie but I've just heard really like it's just disturbing on all different levels um But yeah, I think maybe it would have been disturbingly violent to some people like back in the day. But, you know, now that we're in 2021, we've been going through a lot of movies and, you know, with a lot of like, you know, themes that are pretty relevant to like today's world. Like one of the things we didn't mention was like the rape. And unfortunately, that's just something that, you know, especially women, they deal with like every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I hear like, oh, you know, someone got raped at like a university and they're actually dead, like they were killed, mm-hmm. um, like it's shocking. But again, it's like you forget about it. Like you forget about, you know, the victim and like what happened. There's a level of like desensitization that maybe yeah, wasn't there at the time. that's what I was trying to say before. Like it's so, everything's so desensitized now Yeah. Um, because of like, you know, social media and even like movies just in general and stuff like that like every even like things that we recently saw on tv it was a lot more gory true um i can't really place a name to it because we've been watching so much (laughs) but it's just like it's like every like i'll just be like oh my god like that was really gory like oh like somebody will get smashed in the face or something and half Mm -hmm. of their face is like gone so yeah, I think oh, it was man, I know what you're talking about too, and I forgot what it was. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think it, I you talking about Midsummer? No, it's I think it's actually Invincible. I think we're talking about the anime. Yeah, I started Invincible. watching that. That shit's intense. <laughs> yes. In that first episode, I won't spoil that, but there's that bit that happens in the Justice Hall of Justice or whatever the fuck oh, it's called. Yeah, yeah that oh. shit. That was brutal as fuck. Yeah, and that's yeah. animated. Like it's not even right. like with real people. Um, but yeah, I just think it was a little overhyped, but again, I think for the time, yeah, it would have been like, you know, to viewers, like really disturbingly violent. Yeah. And there's so many good points. I feel like that just got brought up, like in kind of comparing with what Ali said and just the overall, like, it's like Looney Tunes. It's like Daffy Duck gets shot as Bill flies around. But if that happens in something like hostile, you know, half their face is gone, their jaws hanging off and they're trying to ask you for help in this horrible, gory mess. Right. This movie is like the feel of Looney Tunes, but trying to have the mess of hostile or whatever. And I think <laughs> it's really interesting how it's like you bring up like, oh, the heart, horrible goriness that was the Invincible scene, which is an animated television series in 2021, hits harder in a lot of ways than some of the violence that's supposed to be super disturbing in this film, right? Like, this film takes the cartoon tone and applies it to the real world, and that takes a real-world tone and applies it to a cartoon. And I think that really goes a very far distance here to be like, this is kind of what you can do with a camera and some music and editing compared to just like the actual action itself, you know? And I think that's a really cool 
thing. Thank you for <laughs> <laughs> triggering that like thought um, coming around. Because I think in a way you might be right. Like there were very disturbing pieces of cinema back in the 70s and before it even. But I feel like that was all very low key niche stuff. Like you, you didn't have an art house kind of thing like this that was in the mainstream that would have been so horrific you know well you like texas chainsaw massacre was that stuff like that when did that come out i want to say this movie came out in 79 i could be totally wrong though i think i think texas chainsaw massacre was before this one well i know there are other films like cost and shit like that like where it's this horrible like mutilation of people and animals but i feel like that was like such a niche like, you're not going to the AMC downtown to go watch Cannibal Holocaust, you know? Like, as much as you're going <laughs> That's to see true. That's the true. next Kubrick one. Go, Yeah, Cayman, what are your thoughts on the disturbing violence? Yeah, I think you guys covered it all really well. Something that you briefly touched on that really stuck with me, and I think is something we absolutely need to talk about, is, like, the... Um, a contradiction between the musical tone and between the events displayed like throughout the film that's like a constant theme is kind of like almost like disassociative music it seems you know in the uh, first scene where we're talking about where like like there's like a rape but it seems very theatrical like they even mm-hmm. framed it with the cameras as if it was like 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 a part of a stage yeah. play um but during that i think we start hearing uh, Beethoven, you know, one of Beethoven symphonies, which turns out to be a consistent thread throughout the movie. You know, we hear Beethoven all the way through and many of the most violent uh, portions of it and the like light, bouncy, beautiful, um, you know, tonalities of Beethoven compared to like this, like this weirdly framed uh, violence in the movie is, is like a really interesting um like tone like, like, like just like you said it kind of makes it a little bit Looney Tunes and, and it's even on the nose for Looney Tunes because Looney Tunes often featured like 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 classical music like that and and so you know it kind of goes in line with that Looney Tunes parallel of like what would be on its own really terrible acts uh, but the way it's framed in the movie it makes it seem cartoonish and theatrical and with music that entirely contradicts the dark nature of what's happening and it's like very light and pretty sounding um it's like this weird, you know, kind of like it gives you this weird, like almost like, like it seems like disassociated, I suppose. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great that you bring up the even further rabbit hole of Looney Tunes with the the classical music because you're absolutely right. I can't believe I forgot about that. Um, but also Beethoven's, I think it's like Beethoven's ninth, I think is the one that they go through the whole bunch. I think you're correct. Um, but it, it's the fact that like. And this is just going to be my springboard into number three because we're just going to talk about Kubrick for a minute so I can just stand really hard for that man. Um, As awful as he was, he made some fucking fine-ass cinema. And I think one of the things that is done here in this film is you have Alex, this character who associates Beethoven's Ninth with violence and rape and all this other horrible shit. And when he's being conditioned, which, by the way, this movie is about a kid who is a horrible person who gets arrested and decides to undergo this whole brainwashing procedure, conditioning procedure, really, to stop being violent. But he can't... It's kind of against his will. Like, he's just conditioned to want to throw up, uh, you know, basically, whenever he has a violent thought. And it kind of backfires on him, and he, you know goes back to being evil by the end. Uh, but one of the things that they associate with is during this like conditioning phase, they play that song and he begs them, please don't. That's my favorite song. You can play whatever the fuck else you want, but just not that song. And I think 
something I didn't really pay attention to enough the first round we all watched this, but came in that you kind of brought up here is like that song is also conditioning the viewer to like be mm. the violence mm-hmm. is the song. So you hear the song and the violence is there. Um, and I think that's brilliant in a way because it's like it almost brings like a meta narrative to the film because he is being conditioned to that this song and he already is conditioned that the song is the violence and we're doing the same thing. You know, all of his deviant acts are to Beethoven's Ninth, whether it's in his head or like actually playing on those weird little micro tapes that they thought we would all have by now. Like, pff, fucking idiot. <laughs> hey, yeah. Ooh, it's matter now. I think the only I will say as far as the music point goes, I think the scene, Amber, I remember very vividly. You were like, God damn it. This ruined that song for me. The uh, singing, the infamous singing in the rain scene. Um where he's he's kicking the shit out of the guy while singing singing in the rain um i know i brought it up last time but just for sake of this recording i found out that that scene cost like ten thousand dollars and was the most expensive scene of the entire film to make because kubrick just told malcolm mcdowell like sing a song on like you know take 92 or however many fucking takes it was and (laughs) the only one he could remember was singing in the rain and Kubrick was like, I like it. Bought the rights to the song the next day and like they used it in the film. <laughs> Cost shit tons of money because <laughs> singing the rain happened. Um, and effectively ruined the song for many people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. I think there's a lot of really masterfully stuff done in this film from music to just acting to the whole deal. I will say, I did double check. This movie came out in 1971. Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out in 1974. I did see that. I also yeah. just Googled it. And, and Cannibal Holocaust was 1980, oh, so damn. I was actually wrong. So maybe this... Amber, I think, you're, I think you might be dead on. Like, I... I'm wondering if maybe there really weren't that desensitized yet. And I'm kind of starting to wonder if maybe this movie set an interesting precedent for the next few forays mm-hmm. into kind of horror. Because the 70s, 80s, we're starting to enter, like... You got Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Later on, he's going to have like Jason and Freddy and all those guys are showing mm-hmm. up. So we're getting close. This might be the dawn of the new age for horror at this point. That's interesting. <laughs> but uh, Allie, what are your what are your thoughts on Stanley Kubrick and like how he kind of overall approached this book and this work and just his take on it like were you fulfilled as someone who read the book watching this movie or were you just like this is all wrong or were you just like that's an interesting you know difference um hmm I I think I was fulfilled um (laughs) it was definitely different than what I had expected although um when I read the book so I did envision it more in like if we're to compare it to cinema I think the way I was envisioning it was something more like gritty realistic um I don't really know what kind of movie to compare it to but um this like the way that Kubrick did it was again so kind of over the top and it visually was a bit similar to 2001 I would say like in terms of the way he treated color Mm. but I really liked his take on it I really liked how surreal he made it for uh 
Yeah, I think, and we'll just combine this one and the other one since we're kind of floating on them both. Uh, the next one up was that this was the first movie to follow 2001. So uh, we're coming out of the gate on that weird cult classic of a film that was like panned when it came out, but now beloved by, you know, art student and stoner alike. So I guess it's there. <laughs> uh, we actually, between between the last time we watched the time we watched this and recorded the initial Lost episode and now Amber and I have actually watched 2001 for the first time and it was like a it's far too much to do an episode and at the same time not enough it's so fucking weird but I agree with your like the use of color there's like a very like a thematic deal with it and it's very vibrant like you know when you compare it to 2001 there's there's a use of color that is there to act almost as a theme in a lot of scenes yeah. so like I think of like when they're shutting Hal down and everything's red and it's like oh my god that's exactly the scene I was thinking right. of and too. then you have scenes in Clockwork Orange like when he like murders the woman and everything is very like bright and white and the only colors that are present are the, the art on the walls or the things you're focused on are like the giant ceramic dick that he kills her with right like it's <laughs> this bright vibrant colored thing even he's kind he's dressed in all white almost like he's blending in and you have this interesting use of color to kind of direct where you're looking at or to just sort of set the stage I think in the, the scene came and brought up earlier where where they frame it with the stage when the woman's getting raped you have this very dark like blues everywhere and you have this red this faded red on the stage which is like keeping you like you look in this red box like this is where you look and what you're looking at is this rape scene until you pull back and they all fight in the dark so I think like Kubrick is definitely doing some interesting camera work some very interesting camera work here Um, but I will say compared to 2001 I think he's toning it down a little bit and like I get why just given the history of that film and I feel like they were like you need to chill the fuck out Stanley and he was like okay please can we just calm the fuck down um (laughs) but Amber what are your what are your takes on Stanley Kubrick in this film compared to you know for us we've also watched Full Metal Jacket so you know we kind of have three Kubrick movies going right now that we could really compare it to as opposed last time we only had a dismal two (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think the both 2001 and A Clockwork Orange, they were definitely the lesser two, like in my opinion, that they just weren't as good as like um, Full Metal Jacket and The Shining. Oh, that's right. We have also watched The Shining. When I think of imagery, like both of those had amazing imagery. (laughs) Yes, Cayman, we have four. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But like both of them had different tones as well but they were both like I don't know how to describe them but like it was like if you said to me oh like I need you to like point out like what is the epitome of Stanley Kubrick like what Mm. is the essence of Stanley Kubrick Mm -hmm. I'd be like it's that it's either Full Metal Jacket or it's The Shining you know both of those okay um because I feel like he really like poured himself into both of those and they were definitely like trying to say something 
and plus like visually like we were talking about the whites the reds and everything like that there was a whole bunch of that in the shining yeah no the Um, shining is a i think a master class yeah and a wonderful contrast of like light and dark Mm -hmm. and everything to show okay like there's you know light but then there's also a lot of darkness yeah um with the scenes so and then the blue like there was actually i think the one scene in full metal jacket where i forget his name but he goes crazy oh yes yeah that scene was Um, actually very like yeah yeah because it took place in a bathroom or something like that yeah when d'onofrio goes crazy towards the beginning you're right yeah yeah yeah. so he does a wonderful job with that but again if someone were to be like oh which ones like are definitely like stanley kubrick i'd be like those films versus like you know clockwork orange or 2001 yeah i think you you really see a progression of his like I don't want to say skill because it's like I feel like that's calling like 2001 like you know beginner stuff and it's totally not yeah, like it's not. I think that movie is like the best worst movie I've seen like it's very convoluted <laughs> it's very long the plot is stretched far too thin but it is beautiful to watch and like the whole time I'm just like how the fuck did they do that you know in the 60s um and it's such a cool movie I think everyone should watch at least once that being said I think peak Kubrick to me is the shining through and through. I don't think it goes any any better than that. I don't think that Full Metal Jacket is garbage as a result, but I think like The Shining is peak Kubrick. Like everything is there. It's all like it works like clockwork. Yeah. Um there And you're right, the everything. camera work is there. Like especially, you know, when they're trying to follow Danny around. Oh yeah. Thing, that was really cool and then when they're going through the maze, like things like that it just adds like it you brings you into it. it. Yeah. And I think this movie is the perfect example of like doing the opposite, but not in a bad way. Like the intent is to do the opposite, mm-hmm. right? Like the intent is to like separate you from what's happening. And I think it's, it shows like the range that Kubrick has in his, like in the very least his camera work in this. Um, speaking of color, I will also say there's a shocking lack of orange in this film. Um, now that I'm like off the top of my head, I can't name you one thematically orange scene for a film called Clockwork Orange. Yeah. But sorry to disappoint if anyone was expecting that. But um, yeah, I think I think as a follow up to 2001, this is a lot more tame in the sense of like I'm not gonna go full art house with it. Um, I'm gonna keep it a movie that people can access but i could see how it's still in that kubrick threshold good not great Cayman, what about you i know that you're the not the 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 resident not a big movie watcher man so i'm not sure (laughs) if you've seen other kubrick films but what are your thoughts on this yeah i've yeah i've seen the shining Uh, i agree with what you guys are saying i think the shining is like a lot more grounded and and uh more based in the real world while showing off a lot of kubrick's uh skills without it being like exaggerated Mm -hmm. as much as the clockwork orange is like a lot of like like, there's like a lot of wacky camera work uh which is cool uh but i i noticed that i noticed the camera work if you know what i'm saying Usually, like, that's, like, usually camera work is something I reflect on the end and be like, wow, that shot really well. Or, like, that movie had really interesting, vi- like, like a color mm-hmm. composition. Uh, but in this, like, like, like from the very first scene in, in the Milk Bar, I'm like, whoa, 
crazy camera yeah. stuff going on. Um, whereas, whereas like, like in the shining, I reflected that, like at the end, I was like, man, that was, that was like shot really well. That was really cool. Like I see what they were doing here, uh, with this one, it was very on the nose, um, uh, go, going hard on the camera work. Um, uh, but, but, but yeah, uh, uh, overall I will say that, that it was like very excellently done in the, in the visuals of it were cool and, and interesting. I, I haven't seen any movies that old that were that weird in their camera work. Probably, probably cause I haven't seen. <laughs> 2001 I would definitely say and I will also say 2001's not weird like it's not weird like that like it's okay to me it's more like what you say The Shining is which I think is kind of funky because that movie came out before um Mm -hmm. I think it does a lot of like I'm looking for it because that movie doesn't really present a whole lot of plot like I said it's it's a very thin plot Mm -hmm. but it's like when you're watching it and you're thinking about the shots because it's kind of like what he's known for right and you also put it in the context of the 60s you're like wait a minute how in the absolute fuck did they oh they built a giant spinning centrifuge that people could walk in okay (laughs) cool like you know over here like Christopher Nolan with your hallway fight scene eat your heart out like (laughs) we're doing it in the 60s and at least two to three times as big like damn but there's like a, a degree of like what you said with The Shining where it kind of brings you in and it keeps you there and you're not really looking at the weird stuff because it's so immersive. 2001, I think, is doing that, which makes me maybe further think that that was the intention with Clockwork Orange was to make you feel more disjointed. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I really like that shot that you were talking about in the milk bar, like in the very beginning where it's just like zooming out from his eye or whatever it was. Like, that's just such a cool shot. But it, you're totally right. Like from minute one, it's like you are paying attention to this in its entirety like you're yeah. not it's a movie to you it's not a story you're not something you're immersed in you 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 hinted at something that i don't know if we talked about before do we know why this movie is called a clockwork orange what the original story i was? remember reading back in high school when i attempted to read this book and horribly failed um <laughs> uh which we'll get to with number five in just a minute if i recall i think they at the author the original author anthony bridges i believe wrote a foreword to the copy that i have somewhere in this apartment and someone asked him like why is it called a clockwork orange Tell me why. as an adult from what i can recollect ali save me if i'm way off base but i want to say a clockwork orange <laughs> is kind of it was it, it always strikes me now as it's sort of an absurdity to it so like to call something a clockwork X means it's a perfect whatever. Like, it's a dis- it's an adjective. It's describing. It's like, that works mm-hmm. like clockwork. So for him to say a clockwork orange is like a perfect orange, which is abs- like kind of an absurd statement. Like, orange is sort of orange, you know? And I, th- I want to say it has to do kind of with the irony of... Of, of Alex's character, I guess the tragedy really of Alex's character in this film where he becomes perfect clockwork as it were for society, but it's mm-hmm. actually like the worst possible thing that could happen to him. Um, and as a result, like he ultimately goes back to being like a clockwork Alex. Like it, it's like brings up the question of like, which is the, which is the perfect Alex? Is it the one that is true to him or is it the one that is perfect following society's laws? I could be way off base, but that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's a better explanation than the movie yeah. gave. So I'll, I'll accept that as headcanon. Yeah, um, I think you're exactly right. That's pretty much what I was going to say. One other thing I'll add is that 
in the book um i don't know if you remember that writer who i don't actually think was given a name in the movie but the singing um, in the rain guy in the book yeah yeah um so that writer that alex killed his he was in the book he was writing a transcript and the name of that was called a clockwork oh, so meta. Oh. <laughs> well, <I'll... laughs> but no in, in terms of like thematically i think you're absolutely yeah. right Oh, thanks. <laughs> I will say, speaking of like little bits that are hidden in things, when he's in the record store, the record at the very front of that box is the soundtrack to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, yeah. I saw I that like, too. I, I, I like, like that, that's yeah. cute. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a compilation of like classical tunes, but cool. Like it's there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of mentioned it just a couple seconds ago, but the reason I stopped reading this book in high school was because this is a very difficult book to read. And it's a bit more palatable as a film because you kind of get the visual aids. But this story has a shit ton of made up nonsense words. And you've heard a few tonight. Milk Plus, Ultraviolence, Droogs. These might sound like wild and crazy things to you, but to Alex and his Droog brethren, they're the words of the day. So, Amber, what was your thought on, like, the words in this movie? Like, just when they start, because I, I think this movie progresses into normal speech after a while, but, you know, from the get-go, Alex is narrating and half it's gibberish. It's slang of the future. You know, what were your thoughts on, on the language use in this film? I think it was a bit... Well, at first... It was a little bit difficult to understand what was going on, especially when he was talking to an adult. Right. And they were also kind of using similar terms like that. I'm just like, okay, what's going on in this scene? Um, Especially when he's talking to his, like, parole officer. Oh, no, it's just... Oh, man, I'm, like, remembering so much of this movie. Yeah, the counselor (laughs) that punches him in the dick. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. they're both acting, like, really goofy, and he's like, oh, righty-right, like crystal clear like right, I understand right, right. what you're saying um but yeah it was just some of those scenes were like really weird and then he had you know conversations with like his droog brother and yeah. what you called them gang, um yeah brother, and yeah. even those scenes scenes were kind of hard to decipher for me at least because I was just like what's going on here um there's a lot but, more emoted in those scenes I think than is yeah sad. and it does help with like the actors because they're you could just kind of figure it out like with their expressions and like the way they were like standing things like that so obviously in the scene where you know he's kind of losing his power over the droogs mm-hmm. and he sees that and he gets up really close to that guy and he's just like oh like what are you trying to say to me you know and kind of like oh if you think you're better than me right. then why don't you lead the group or right, whatever right. and I'm like oh okay so I think it adds kind of a bit of a flair to like the story and honestly like even today like people kind of make up their own languages um, yeah. we have what's called slang so yeah. <laughs> words like yeet and pog are just beyond me and I'll never understand what they mean but <laughs> to someone they mean something yeah like I know like my sister she'll say things and I'm just like what the fuck is that like <laughs> <laughs> like she'll be like weebo like you're such a weebo or something like that and thanks I'm just like, you too <laughs> yeah what's wrong with you <laughs> or weebo I think is what it is but it's based weeaboo, weeaboo. Is it weeaboo? yes <laughs> so like someone who's like really into anime I think but um 
Yeah, things like that. And I'm just like, what the fuck does that mean? That yeah, um, that's me and Pog. Whenever somebody says, I say something, and they're like, oh man, dope, Pog, and I'm like, it is. It's very Pog. Uh, I had to, I had to look that one up too. I, yeah, feel like, yeah. I think someone explained to me that it's an acronym, and I'm like, I would have never fucking <laughs> guessed that. Like, what does that mean? Uh, it's uh, commonly used in the Twitch community. Uh, Pog P O G. Uh, allegedly stands for play of yes. game and is a general endorsement slash term of excitement. Like if you pull off a really cool move in a game or something good happens, you'd be like, oh, Pog. Ooh. Or even Poggers. I, I don't know where the ER comes from, but that's my understanding of it based on my wow. research. You had that ready to go. Yeah, you you're like the this Urban Dictionary for us. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, quickest explanation in the West. Django! Django! But yeah, I, I totally feel you. I think it's, to me, I think it's one step of immersion too far because um, it's a little inaccessible and I think it's like a little unnecessary. Like, yeah, it's cool. It's pog, but uh, it's not a, uh, I don't need it. Came <laughs> uh, in, what were your thoughts on the, uh, the made up words, Mr. Dictionary over there? What's going on with you? <laughs> I remember this from a lost episode. I fuck with the, the, the weird slang. I I love it. Uh, like I want I, I said I was going to, and I have it. I want to incorporate my droogs into my vocabulary. That's the most accessible like, one. My uh, like my dudes, my droogs. Like it almost just sounds like you goofed the dudes word. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know, uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Yeah, like, like I just having some beers with my droogs, you know, yeah. man. Um, yeah, I, I, I love the, the weird language. It's like, like, like you guys said, there's a lot of visual, like, like uh, uh, elements to lean on to know what they're talking about. Um, but yeah, I love the weird language. It helps like it, 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 it plays well into the uh, weird dystopia and the like semi alternate reality. It's kind of we're talking about like like just like not understanding words that the youth yeah, are using these days. I like how <laughs> I, I, I know no one listening can see this, but Cayman has like a a, a sort of like a blanket over his shoulders, like a like what is what is that pattern called? Why am I an idiot? Bad. Yes, like a plaid, plaid? blanket kind of oh over your shoulder. Like, God, just so if it was over your lap, it'd be like perfect, complete. You're no. I'm, ch- I'm very much channeling my grumpy old man energy <laughs> sitting here down in my basement. Damn kids! Plenty. Damn droogs with their <laughs> pog and their yeet and their wee boo! Allie, what about you? How did you feel about the. Uh, Seeing, really seeing this language come to screen and become a visual deal for you. What was, what was that like? Mm. So I agree that it was more accessible in, uh, in a visual form because you could see physically Mm -hmm. like what they were talking about. And so it gave you much more context. That was one of the things that I did struggle with, uh, when I was reading this book, um, was that a lot of times I would have to either reread things a whole bunch of times or just google it <laughs> like, to be like what the hell are they talking about what the hell are you on about um i don't i wouldn't say that i like it or dislike it i just kind of it's just kind of part of the novel and of the movie like i think that it is kind of paradoxical in that it it serves to build the world like it 
it gives you this uh, I think whenever you establish like a different sort of language or dialect in a world it it enriches that that much more but then it also kind of alienates the viewer from like Alex and his droogs like um <laughs> It, it makes you feel like an outsider to him. I'm on the outside. I'm looking at yeah, I think, and that's kind of a way more articulate way of putting how I feel like it's one step of, of it's one degree of separation too far for me mm-hmm. because it's kind of like, oh, we're, you know, we're in the future, we're different. This violence is Looney Tunes. We're even talking gibberish. And I'm like, but at the talking gibberish, I just feel more excluded than distanced. Like, yeah. I'm not distanced like I'm watching Bugs Bunny anymore. I now feel like I'm watching something that I'm either not allowed to watch or like I'm, I wasn't, I'm at a party I wasn't invited to. Yeah. And it's a little awkward <laughs> for me because I'm just like, it's funny. I like, I would love to incorporate words like droogs into my regular language. Do it. I don't know about righty right. It's just too much, and the, the it's just too much. I feel like it comes on. off like you're basically just like I don't care. Like like when he's like smiling, he's like righty right. It's like you're not even listening. Yeah, he deserves to what a punch in the said. dick. Like he deserves a punch in the dick. I would punch somebody in the dick for causing <laughs> me like righty right. Like, yeah, no. it just comes off so <laughs> condescending. So I'm just like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Oh. I'll only say it to people I don't like. Yeah, like righty right, and I'll just like, I want to say. Uh, my personal favorite is to describe something as like great or cool. They would say that's a real horror show. Oh, I do that. Is, that <laughs> oh, I do <laughs> like it. I can't believe you forgot about that one. That's that to me. I don't know why. That just feels British classy. Like the Queen would say that. <laughs> like if you walk and you and and you were like, oh hello, your highness, and you and she was like, oh that's. The very nice jacket you have there, Thomas. This real horror show. I'd be like, it is, mom. <laughs> it is. <laughs> like, and I wouldn't bat an eye if, like, if like British royalty told me that. I'd be like, yeah, it just means it's good. Um, no, that you're right. That's a cool one. That's another. That and Droogs are at my top one. It's a massive failing that Mega Milk wasn't. Wasn't the word for the milk. I'll stand by that. They missed that opportunity, but we need to make sure we <laughs> don't miss the Droogs horror show opportunity. You know, we could have a real horror show oh, time, yeah. you know? I like that. That hits right. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it'd be good for like for like good weird places. We have a location here in Atlanta called the Claremont mm-hmm. Lounge. Um uh, it specializes in uh, specialty strippers, if you will. They they they're the exclusive <laughs> strip club in Atlanta that hire over sixty strippers, oh. like like not sixty number, but over sixty in age. They hire them almost. Exclusively. I thought you were going into like uh, a Mama's Mega Milk Bar. Yeah, like this, I was gonna be like, whoa, it's real, <laughs> and then you're like, no, it's like you know older strippers. Like, okay, I guess it's. There. It's 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 oddity strippers, uh, if you will, and and whatever. I'm like, I've been in places that weird. Really, I'm thinking specifically of the Claremont gotcha. Lounge. That it is it is as weird as the milk bar. No weird milk drugs, but lots of weird times to be had. Anyway, I could imagine that place. We going there, waking up next morning, of course hungover. Yeah. Like, how was Claremont? Like, oh, and this elderly woman comes out of your bathroom and is just like, oh, it God. was a real horror uh, show, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a real horror show. <laughs> very like troll too when that kid's like oh my oh god oh my god thank you <laughs> love that movie 
Oh, but yeah, I I think the language. You guys might have changed my mind on language. I think the language is starting to be kind. Of, I'm coming around to it. It's it's a little. When I read it in the book, I think it kind of like made it tough because it was just. I mean, I mm-hmm. stopped reading the book. It made it tough because I'm like, okay, ultraviolence is that like special violence? Are they like really beating this guy up, or is it just like a regular mm-hmm. beat him up thing? Like, are they jumping him, or are they like beating the shit out of him? Like, what's going on here? And in the end, it kind of just seems like it's somewhere between the two. It's just a range. Yeah, it's plus ultra. Yeah. Go beyond. Yeah, go beyond. <laughs> Kill <violence>. him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I think the language is pretty, pretty spiffy. Real horror show shit going on in there. Put away real horror show. I think the one thing we didn't bring up is that while we were talking about the language um, or the dialect... I thought it was interesting that he talks to us that way and yet calls us friends. Like, he addressed mm. us throughout oh, yeah. the film. That's right. And he was like, my dear friends, like, listen to what happened to me. Like, poor me. I just got beat up by mm. my fucking droogs. And he and- speaks, I think, Ken, I think you pointed this out, maybe. Maybe it was you, Allie. He speaks very Shakespearean. Yes. Yeah. Like, he speaks to he us. He idea. speaks us. It sounds like an alley idea. Um, <laughs> speak, <laughs> he speaks to us kind of like how Amber's saying, like, dear friends, oh, doth hear my woes. Like, <laughs> as if, like, we're... And I think it's interesting, right? Because it's almost that extra level of meta that now that I'm in, noticing it, it's like we're so far in the past. It's like he knows we're in what's supposed to be 1971. And he's like... Oh, you archaic souls, like, listen to my tale of woe. When it's like, nah, man, we speak more like your parents. But it's it's just interesting that there's that extra layer of, like, well, an extra meta layer. I'm sure the Rick and Morty fans are losing their fucking minds right now. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just interesting that it's there because it's very official. And it's also kind of more the theatrical, right? Like, it's turning into a show. It's a performance. He's reciting what's happening as opposed to just talking to you, you know. To recite Shakespearean quotations, no animal nor man can scream like I can with the fury of my recitations. I I would say uh, the one thing that we haven't really talked about that was like a pretty core piece of this movie was like like ideas of like free will and forgiveness. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there was there's a there's a priest that was heavily featured who basically makes the argument after Alex is brainwashed that a man without free will is, you know, is, is hardly even a right. man. And I think that's such an interesting um, distinction, right? Because it's kind of the distinction between being evil or not even being human that that priest kind of presents. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and you know, if if. if you know, if somebody can't make the right choice, if they're, in Alex's case, just truly incapable of it, you know, is it the right thing for society or for him to, to remove that choice from him? Um, and, and just, yeah, I, I remember that quote of like, you know, if, if, if you remove the free will from a man, is, is he really still a man? And that's, it's interesting that it's coming from like a priest because there's like, like this whole idea of like, um, and maybe this is too meta, but like, like a predestination or not of, you know, do like, like a constant thread throughout like Christianity and many other religions is like, you know, do individuals have the choice to, to, to repent or like, are they predestined to do that? You know, is there ultimately a choice in it or are we all just playing out this path that we're already on based on the way that we are from the beginning? Someone's going to get laid in college. There's an interesting, like, is Alex destined to be evil? You know? 
And you know, that actually that actually raises an interesting thought. And Allie, we'll start with you this round. Question number six, which I'll preface with, this book had a different ending. So... Yes, I was going to bring Yeah, that so up. we have a, mm-hmm. a separate ending, and Allie, I will let you go more into depth on that, but basically, uh, the ending we got in the film is the original ending of the book, um, that after the publishers were like, no, you're not putting your last chapter in. Um, Allie, can you can you fill us in on what the, the original last chapter of this book was, per Burgess's vision? Okay, so um, I believe that... Anthony Burgess's original ending, um, he had an extra chapter at the end um, where, so at the end of the movie version, we end with Alex kind of reverting back to his like evil ways. But the ending that Burgess wanted, like his, his intended original ending was where that happens, like... Alex kind of does go back to his like evil ways but then we skip ahead in time a few years and we see Alex um almost like outgrowing his violent tendencies where he's thinking like oh well you know he's seeing all of his friends kind of settling down and he's like kind of getting bored with the violence the ultra violence and you see him thinking like, oh, well, maybe it would be nice to start a family or maybe it would be nice to have a career. And you see him kind of like coming to his own natural conclusion mm-hmm. that he wants to stop this violence. So that was Burgess's original ending. But then when the movie or sorry, when the book was uh, published in the U.S., I guess I don't know if it was the publishers or what, but he decided to remove that extra chapter. So in the U.S. version of the book, which is the version that Kubrick was working from, we just end with Alex going back to his violent ways, and that's where we end. We don't see him coming to that conclusion that he wants to stop of his own volition. Right. So I think that that makes a really huge difference in terms of the theme of the book. Yeah, I think it... And well, you know, before you even get to what I think, well, Ali, we'll start with you since you did such a fantastic job describing the difference <laughs> between the endings of this book. Which did you? Which do you think is better? Which Which would you have preferred? I guess to have Ooh. seen on screen the one we got, or would you have wanted to see the original author's kind of intent here? I know we. I think we talked about this last time in our like lost episode. I. So from like a moral perspective, like, yeah, like from a moral perspective in in terms of something that I would really want to see in the world, of course, I would prefer the second ending where you have more faith in humanity and more faith that people can like kind of step out of their violent ways. But in terms of a film and like a piece of art I absolutely prefer the first ending the the ending that right. we got yeah and for those of you who might not have seen it the ending is literally a bunch of rich people in a bright white area seemingly outside uh, watching a naked Alex and a naked woman just kind of go to town on each other and I don't think that woman's really wanting it I think there's like a little bit of rape going on in that scene um, but they're just watching like they're just casually watching Alex just rape this woman and he's just having the time of his life um amber what would you have preferred 
you know, between the one we got on screen and then what Ali said the original intention was. I think I would have preferred like a redemption arc, like Ali said, just because like you do want to see him basically come to terms with like what he did and then be able to grow from that. But I also think with the way that it was going with where, okay, he doesn't exactly have free will after, you know, having surgery um, or going through that experiment, basically. And now being, you know, yeah, just basically being a person that doesn't like have any choice, but still in his mind, he's like, you know, this awful person. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes a better ending, to be honest, because deep down he is pretty like rotten. Yeah. And he's, you know, even though they can't see it because obviously they can't read his mind, that tells us as viewers, like, yes, like he hasn't changed at all. Mm -hmm. And some people are like that, like they don't change at all, even if they go through, you know, possibly all of this like rehabilitation, all of this like therapy and things like that. There's only so much you can do before you take away that person's like, you know, free will or liberty or such. Like it's kind of like a lost cause. Right. Like, you know, it's kind of like came in, like you pointed out the whole, if you don't have free will anymore, are you really a person? Like at what point does it matter? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just kind of, that is who you are. Right. Are you just embracing who you are? Uh, Came in. What what about you? What are you? Are you happy with what we got? Would you prefer to be something different? Both. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I like I like the movie's ending, um, and I would prefer to stick with that. I think I think with the ending of whenever the his brainwashing is reversed, and we find out that given free will, Alex is through and through a terrible mm-hmm. person that will choose to do terrible things. I think that. Uh, produces a more interesting moral question of if somebody's free will is always to be evil, should they be allowed to have free will? And I feel like that's a more interesting uh, idea that, that of like him kind of just being a static character. Um, I think that's a more like interesting question and moral dilemma than uh, than another redemption art. I think I think art's full <laughs> of beautiful redemption arcs, and I don't think that Alex really deserves one. And I think that rushing it in the last chapter, I don't know, that'd feel weird to me. Yeah. We just spent like two and a half hours with this guy who like thoroughly, entirely sucks. Unless he's about to like puke over how bad he sucks, he's but gonna even choose then, to in suck. In his head, he's telling us the viewer like, "Oh man, all I want to do is just like kill that man, rape that woman, but I can't. I just want to throw up." And it's like. So you're still a shit bag. Like you're not better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's yeah, almost I, a bit blunt in that regard where it's like, obviously you still suck and you're telling us so. Yeah. So I'll, I'll personally choose the original ending. I like that. I think that uh, gives us like an interesting moral question and it seems more thematically consistent with the rest of the film. If they like squeezed a uh, redemption arc into the last 10 or 15 minutes of it, it would feel weird and forced in my opinion. Uh, but I agree that it, it would it would kind of change the outlook of the whole movie uh, with, with, you know, him, you know, having the aspect of him choosing to be good on his own. Yeah. And like, I'm so before I say my thoughts, I will say when I did it, I remember now when I did a little bit of reading before we start talking about this the first time, uh, the I guess the intention of this book, the theme of this book, as Burgess intended it, was supposed to be like redemption and just for forgiveness, especially. Um because I guess Burgess is, was raised at least very, very Catholic. And so during the World tracks. War II, I guess his wife was 
very violently raped by like some American soldiers and like as a result you get this book where it's sort of like if you in his mind if you really are a Christian you can forgive anyone for anything as long as they want that redemption and I think that that was sort of his intent here right it's like create someone who could possibly do the be the worst human alive which in this case is Alex and then you know can you forgive that person for what they do and in the one hand you have society kind of saying well if they can't do it anymore then they're fine but it's like he's still a shitbag like we said he's still here his thoughts he's still a shitbag whereas I think his intent with his original ending is that Alex asking for it himself is the epitome of, of Christian forgiveness in this regard, right? The worst human alive finally says, I'm going to hang up the cod piece. I'm done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he says, I'm done. I'm done killing. I just want to be a normal guy. And he, it's, it's, it, I mean, I haven't read the ending, but I feel like it would be almost like in a low key way, Alex asking the world, just let me be normal. And that's sort of his penance. Which, in that regard, sounds like a cool ending. I absolutely agree with Cayman, though. Guys, sorry to split the room on that one. But I agree with Cayman, absolutely. (laughs) I think tacking it on as a solitary epilogue chapter at the end is rushed at best. And I think in a lot of ways could have totally just absolutely destroyed this movie in the book if it were left in. Like, I think the moral quandary that the, the... initially published ending gives you is so much more thought provoking than like a very fine tuned like Christian forgiveness thought because it's kind of just like um, one is like telling you this is what things should be like and the other one is make, asking you a question and leaving it hanging which I think especially today mm-hmm. we don't really get enough of in movies is everything's wrapped up in a bow or it has to spiral off into a cinematic universe whereas with this it's just like <laughs> there you go what do you think and I don't care about your answer. Your answer is just as valid as mine. But it's like, what do you think, viewer? And you're left with that at the end of this film. And I think there's so much, like, the ending shot is like they're fucking on a grave, you know? And is that the grave of Alex ever being redeemed or what? You know, what? you have so much interpretation that can come from the end of this film. And I think the original ending goes a long way to contribute to that. Yeah, I want to, I just want to... Uh clarify that I side with you guys like oh okay well 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 how the (laughs) turntables like uh, as a piece of art as a film I absolutely think that Kubrick stuck with the right ending yeah like I think it it serves the movie and the book really I I think it serves it much better than adding that extra chapter would have been you know, I will say, and I can't believe, I'm like kicking myself in the ass right now, realizing I didn't think of this film the first time we watched it. One of my favorite film runs of all time is the Cornetto trilogy, which is Shaun of the Dead, uh, Hot Fuzz, and uh, The World's End. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen The World's End, but oh my God, the yeah. the, the, the central kind of theme is this movie. Like Gary King is Alex. He's a shitty guy. He's he's not violent killing people, but he's a shitty guy 
who doesn't grow up and all of his friends do. And you have this very like big dichotomy between them. And by the end, it's a little bit of a different theme because the world ends, but it's like you kind of have that sort of redemption arc or coming to terms really with what the the shittiness like he has to come to terms with the shittiness and not just the I don't want to grow up but the fact that you are doing and have done crappy things throughout this film and I'm just like looking at this and looking at that and going like oh my god the parallelism there Um, (laughs) Hmm. but yeah so check that movie out if you haven't it's a fantastic fantastic film pretty 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 good other than that, I have absolutely no idea what ratings we gave this movie originally. Um, and so I'm not even going to try to remember them. But the question will be, is our standard deal uh, is usually out of 10? And would you suggest people watch this movie? So, Cayman, uh, let's start with you. Guest number one. What uh, What are you giving this movie out of 10? And would you suggest people watch it? Why or why not? Uh, I would I would maybe give it a six, but like the the asterisk I tack on to it will probably bring it down to a five. Um, it's a solid film. I'd like give anybody like I'd recommend it to like, like hey, big old trigger warning. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to deal with like a few rapes and like some weird murder scenes. Um, and it's just strange. Yeah. So like like my like recommendation thing, like like it's probably not the first movie out of my mouth. I'm like, oh, you, you got to see it. But. I understand why it's a classic. I understand the appeal of it. I'm glad that I've watched it, um, but I'm probably not trying to watch it again anytime that soon. I'll maybe watch it again at some point in my life, uh, but I got the point. Interesting, <laughs> weird. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Allie, how about you? What are your What are your thoughts on this one? Great, and would I... Should people watch it? Um, I'm going to go with a six. Um, maybe a 6.5. So I really loved a lot of the stylistic choices that Kubrick made. And I think it's kind of worth watching like just for that. I would be careful like who I recommend this to because I think that if, if, if it's somebody that is like into film and has kind of an appreciation for like the artistic aspects mm-hmm. of film, then I think this could be accessible to them and that they would appreciate it. But I wouldn't recommend this to somebody that's just like that just likes movies like just to be entertained and not to think about them because I think it would kind of just go over their head and just they wouldn't like it right. at all. Amber, what about you? What are you giving this? Film? Especially after we've talked about it, you know, a second time. Like, oh my God, has it changed? Has it gotten worse than you think? Is it better? And of course, would you recommend it? Yeah, I think I would do like a six for it. Um See, when I first told someone that we were going to be watching this and reviewing it on our uh, show, that person was just like, that's the worst movie ever. Like, I absolutely (laughs) fucking hated it. (laughs) Um, I didn't understand it. And it went into this whole conversation. Obviously, he didn't want to ruin it for me. Right. But he was just like, yeah, it's like one hell of a trip. And I was just like, yeah, now looking back on it, I'm just like, yeah, that was kind of like a weird trip, basically. And I think it's, you know, I think I really have to owe it to the performances. Like, Mm -hmm. the guy who played Alex was amazing. Yeah. Like, that was definitely, like, his moment, you know, to shine. And even, like, everybody else in their supporting roles, they did really well. 
with what they had. I mean, that can't be easy trying to speak in a different dialect. Mm -hmm. And then especially with all the rape scenes and like the murder scenes, like even beating people up, that couldn't have been easy. Right. But they managed to pull it off. And I also think like Kubrick somewhat stayed true to what how his films usually go with like the imagery and stuff like that. So but it's definitely not one of his like top movies, I would say. Yeah, I could see that. Would would you suggest people watch it? Yeah, I would definitely suggest people watch it again. I think it would depend on the person. Um, because I wouldn't just like recommend it to anyone, I think, yeah. because it takes a, you have to have a particular uh, palette for it, right. I think. <laughs> hey, Grandma, have you ever seen Clockwork Orange? You want to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, that, yeah. Don't, so. yeah. yeah. I don't want to waste like anyone's time, I guess, because yeah. like, I don't think the violence would be like an issue unless like, again, like if you're really triggered by it, obviously I'm not going to recommend it, but I think it's more of just like, well, that was like super like you know fucking stupid or boring mm-hmm. yeah like i feel <laughs> like if you're not following the me? theme yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think i i don't remember what i gave it what i originally gave it but i would definitely i'm gonna stand for kubrick here again it's a seven i think it's a solid seven for me um i i just look at it very objectively like i of course the violence and the rape is a horrible horrible thing and like it, it's terrible it's terrible it really happens you know it's not like the shit in this movie is just completely you know so nonsensical and it doesn't exist in the real world but i think the way it's displayed here in the looney tune style with the with the music and just all the layers that we've kind of picked apart here and barely scratched the surface of this fucking onion is uh that it is it's just so well done it's not his best work and i think that's definitely why it will not go above a seven for me um maybe on rewatch it'll go lower i think though that the way he presents these horrible acts as something that all four of us kind of watched as if we were watching a cartoon but at the same time in the back of our heads we were like this is bad is just really well done and I, I totally agree with kind of the sentiment here. It either gets an asterisk or I'm only really telling like friends who are more into the arts art of the movie. You know, it's the difference of like if someone like what's a good time travel movie? And I'm like, well, if you want like an artsy thought provoking one primer, if you just want a fucking time travel movie back to the future, because like they're on two ends of that scale. Not everyone's going to get those suggestions because not everyone is going to be down for that. But I think that will do it for our first foray back into uh, our Lost episodes. Uh, you know, thank you, Allie and Cayman, uh, for coming back on to do this with us. I know it kind of stinks that, like, you know, we we had to kind of do it all over again, but thank you guys for coming back on. Yeah, thank you so much for having yeah. us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Literally any time. It sounds like Cayman's got a hefty list of films to watch, so we might... We might just have to drag him back here to educate the child. Um, (laughs) But Amber, can you tell us what we got going on next week on sort of our funky small screens deal happening again? Yeah. Next week on small screens, we're going to be doing Princess Mononoke. That is right. We are going to be diving into the Studio Ghibli film Princess Mononoke by Hayao Miyazaki. We've watched this film a ton of times. Um, so obviously we can't do a proper episode on it. So you're getting a double dose of small screens this round. Um, <laughs> but yes, we will be diving into that 
movie are like what third animated anime film on here yeah i think it's the third one we just kind of keep doing anime maybe maybe people will like it as much as paprika seems so good it is a great movie and it was hard to pick just one so exactly but it's definitely one of his darker movies for sure there's a lot more i think to talk about than say my neighbor totoro unless you go kiki's delivery service I think there's a lot of, well, you know what, we'll save it for another day. But until we talk about Princess Mononoke, I am one of your hosts, Thomas. I'm Amber. I'm Allie. And I'm Cayman. And this is So What Happens Next, Small Screens. We'll see you guys next week.